been a beautiful day. Hope that you had a good day. I hope that you remembered the Lord and considered your ways and, and your walk with Him today. And I hope you considered your fellow Christian and the relationship that you have with the people here in the audience, with the brotherhood, brotherhood wide. I hope you considered those in foreign lands as they struggle and they fight for their right to worship God. You know, we had an amazing start of the day. And the lesson of the morning started with a question. And it says, do you tell others about the hope that you have in Christ Jesus? And I hope that you considered that today. And I hope that you made provision that if you haven't done that, that you would work towards that. Set that as a goal for the new year as we approach the end of this one. You know, there are many times that we have opportunity to do the right thing. And there are lots of times when we simply don't. So as we start the lesson of the evening, I want us to consider our relationship with God. I want you as an individual to look into your life and consider the things that we talk about this evening and realize that God loves you. God wants you to be successful spiritually. He wants you to be of sound mind and of good courage. He wants for you to love the people that are in this building with you as your own family. And He wants for us to go to heaven. And those are all things that are wonderful. They're great things for us to think upon. I want you, but I want to ask the question, do you have that lively hope that was talked about this morning? Turn over to Psalms, the 38th chapter, if you will, and we want to read. Uh, it says, a psalm of David to bring to remembrance. When he heard this, he wanted to be reminded of something that happened in his life. And so I want to read the first eight verses there. And he says, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are full of inflammation and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of my heart. Now as we consider that, I want to ask some questions. Is this you this evening? Are any of you in here feeling this way? David did. He had times in his life when he felt like he couldn't go on. He felt like he was burdened down with his own sin and his own mistakes. So I ask you this evening, how is your relationship with God? Are you barely hanging on? Are you miserable? 
Is life too heavy for you because of foolish mistakes that you have made? Or maybe foolish choices others have made around you? You know, sometimes we get affected by choices that we have nothing to do with. But because of where they are and how they're related to our life, we pay a price for those choices, don't we? And they're painful. And sometimes they're out of our control. And sometimes we have no way to reconcile that. And so we ride the train of life. And we struggle to find a way to deal with these things. Sometimes it's our own fault. Have you ever made a mistake in your life and committed a sin and you felt the Lord pressing down on you? You were so ashamed, you were so frustrated that your faith was so weak and that you chose something fleshly, lust of the flesh, something in the world. You chose that over what you've been taught and what you should want from God. Has that ever happened to you? So I ask us to consider our relationship with God. How do you perceive God? You know, when I was younger, people would challenge me, and I, I've been told I talk a lot. And I didn't really realize that when I was young. I honestly didn't. I thought I was just like everybody else. But you know, I'd go and I would challenge ideas and things, and I would want to express things. And so I got a lot of, I got a lot of kickback on that from my friends at school from other people that disagreed on religious uh, items, that maybe we differed greatly. And you know, I remember a guy telling me one time, he said, Paul, you just have a religion of a roller coaster. You're up here with God, and then you're down here with the devil. You're up here with God, and you're down here with the devil. Every time you make a mistake, you're down here with the devil. So what happens if you're about to have a wreck, and you say something you shouldn't, and then you die? You died with a sin on your lips. And I, I mean, he just wore me out with that. You know, I didn't really know what to do with that when I was younger. I really wasn't sure about my relationship with God. That worried me. Because a little bit of what he was accusing me of, I could see. And a whole lot of it I thought was nonsense. But when, what about in Psalms 32 and verse 3? Let's turn over there. It says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the draught of summer. Since you've been a Christian, and I want you to consider this, have you felt like you've been separated from God? Have you done something dark and dreary and your conscience bothered you? You know, I had a friend growing up that's part of this congregation. I'll let him be anonymous. But one time, he got in trouble about something. And he felt so bad when he got home, he told on himself. And I thought, man, that's a little bit crazy. He could have got away with that. You know, I was a kid. And he wouldn't have gotten near as much trouble. But you know what? I would, I would argue that this is what he was feeling right here. Thy hand was heavy upon me. And you know, as we get older and as we learn about God and as we walk closer with Him and as we want so bad 
to have the right relationship. Sometimes that weight, when we make those mistakes, is so heavy. And we just feel ashamed and embarrassed. So I ask you, how was this grief alleviated? How did David get himself out of this grief that he had? In Psalms 32, in the, uh, let's read 1 through 11. He says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. He says, When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For a day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. And I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You see the contrast of the burden of sin and of holding things inside? You know, sometimes you and I are so good at holding everything inside and put this face up when we're in this building. And we're so good, and we seem so great to people. And then we get out of here and we do something so bad, and we mess it all up. Or maybe we just never cleaned it up. Maybe we just hid it. And it just wears you out. It just beats you down. You know, if you haven't been there in your life, I hope you never go back there. But I would submit to you that most people somewhere in their life will be challenged in such a way that they will fail miserably. And I hope that you're able to recover. I hope that you see a way that is better. Because God has given it. Our relationship with God is the only thing that can truly bring us inner peace and blessing in our life. It's the only thing. If you don't have a relationship with God, I see people all the time that have millions and millions of dollars that I deal with in my work. And I see families absolutely miserable. See, the money, there's nothing that they can't buy. And part of that's the problem. They get so bored with life. And they think they have it all and they're so independent. And they love to tell you that nobody helped them do this. They put it together. And we see people like that, don't we? And yet you see their children are on drugs. Or they're living in, in adultery and fornication. 
And they're doing all kinds of heinous things that are against God's will. And the family don't know what's wrong. They don't understand. Why are my kids like this? They have everything. And I had an older gentleman and he had two sons and they couldn't be in a room for 15 minutes. They hated each other. Raised in the same house, same parents, complete family unit. One of them didn't farm and one of them did. And they hated each other. They could not get along. And so I'm working on leasing this guy for a project and he pulls all this stuff out and he says, you know what I'm going to do, Paul? And I'm looking at him, oh man, what are we getting into now? He said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. He said, on paper, I am going to lock my children together where they cannot get away from each other. And they will either get along and prosper or they will go broke trying to fight it out in court to get away from each other. And he said, they will like each other. And I said, no, sir, I don't think that's a good idea, but it's your stuff. It's your family. And they came in. These boys came in after we had that conversation. And one of them was standing there, and we, everything was good. The other one came in. We weren't there three minutes. And they were, yeah, yeah, and at each other. And both of them jumped in their pickups and throwed gravel and left. And he said, I just don't understand. Plenty of money. But you know, this guy... Like to broadcast what he had, and he had a, a room that was decorated in a way that you would be embarrassed. There were things on the walls there that would turn you red. And his wife come out there, didn't bother her a bit, everything was fine. He was just a man, and he had to have his certain way and his things. And I was embarrassed for her because it didn't bother her one bit when she came out there. And you know, the more time I spent, the more things like that I saw, the only common denominator was I never heard anything about God. I never saw anything about God. I never saw anything about any kind of religion at all. And it wasn't talked about with this family. You see, they had placed some great importance on some things. But in all of that, they had lost what's really important. And that was a relationship with their Lord and Savior. So I want us to consider some examples God has given us in Scripture. And I want to see how God reacted with His children when they made sinful choices. Because that's really what I want to talk about is people that are God's children. Not so much about people that are not. So let's turn over to Genesis 4 and verse 1. Genesis 4 and verse 1 says, Now Adam knew his wife, Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. 
So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. I'm sorry, I'm going to stop right there at 7. So what was the Lord's response? We had an offering made, and we, we know the story, and we know that He didn't do it according to faith. He didn't do it according to God's Word. He offered the fruit of the ground, and it was not a blood sacrifice. But He got upset. He got mad. And His countenance fell. Nobody likes me. I'm unaccepted. It's not right. It's not fair. What was the Lord's response? He was calm. He was reasonable. He was without malice. He was very factual. And he was unbiased. He said, Cain, the choice is yours. He just laid it out to him. Just like he does you and I. He lays the choice before you. And he said, the choice is yours, Cain. Now let's look at verses 8 through 16. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass, when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother, and he killed him. Then the brother said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you, A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain... Vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Even after Cain chose to do his own way, he allowed his stubbornness to get in the way. But even after he chose to sin and go against what God had told him, God was still merciful. I want us to notice that. He was still merciful. There was still a price to pay. There was still punishment. But he set a mark on him. And he put a curse that anyone that should choose to kill him would pay a dire price. You see, God knew the value of a soul. He was literally on creation number four of mankind and already had had a murder. Now I'm going to tell you, one of the hardest things we deal with is our children. We love them, they're a blessing, it's a wonderful thing. And when they do something wrong, it is so hard 
to choose the right thing to do? Do I bear down on them and do I just straighten them out right now? Do I try to lead them through the process? Do I have a heart attack? Do I wish I could die? There's a lot of choices, isn't there? And not very many of them are that great. But you know, when God had to make some choices here because of what had happened, He's had disobedience. He's had sin enter the world. Now He's got a murder. And then He's got this son of His, this child, this soul, who has said, God, you're putting more on me than I can bear. I need help. I need to be able to not worry about being murdered everywhere I go. I'm already paying this price and this price. And God said, okay, I'll mark you, and I'll make sure that there's a curse to anyone who tries to kill you. Now, I've always wondered what happened if somebody else made the wrong choice and just decided to kill him. You know, would he die? I don't know. But he had, some, he had some guarantee from God, and he had some mercy and grace poured out upon him, even though he had done wrong. God wants you to be successful spiritually in your life. That's his goal, and that's his desire. And that should be ours as well. And if it's not, we certainly need to make it that way. Look at Psalms, the 34th chapter in verse 4. It says, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto Him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. You know, I just want to tell you, sometimes when we get into trouble and we get into fear and we don't know what to do in our life, the answer is in that book. The Lord is there. He's wanting to have that relationship with you. He wants you to repent. He wants you to confess. And He wants you to tell Him your troubles. And how many times do we get hard-headed and we want to do things our way And we want to put that off, and we put it off, and we put it off, and we drift further and further and further away from Him. Thinking we can do it on our own. We can get this fixed. We just need more time. And we'll be able to handle it. You know, it's not true, is it? Can you handle it? Can you handle the loss of a loved one on your own? I talked to a guy from church the other day. He was going to three family funerals from Wednesday to Saturday. And he was doing two of them. I said, man, that's a tough tough weekend. We'll be praying for you. He said, I appreciate that. But he said, it's not as tough as you think. Some of them needed to be relieved from the pain and the suffering that they had been in for so long. You see, his perspective was better than mine. I was thinking about his physical sacrifice to be able to withstand that, and he was thinking about the release from the pain that those individuals were going to receive as they went home to see God. 
Sometimes we want people to pay a price, don't we? Sometimes we get frustrated and we think, well, they haven't really paid a price for that sin. Or maybe they haven't, haven't really suffered like I have on some other things. Or whatever those crazy thoughts are that we get when the devil tempts us. I think about David. You know, David committed adultery. He planned a murder and saw it through. He committed adultery with the one he murdered his wife. He slew thousands in battle. Now, I want to ask you, you know, this used to really worry me. If this country went into a war and I had to go defend it and defend my family and I had to kill people, what kind of person would I be after that? You ever considered that? And you know, I've considered that a lot, but I want to tell you what made me consider that. Is I met a young man who wanted to do right so bad. And I studied with him, and he'd get so excited about studying. And we were rocking along there, and everything was good. And I couldn't get a hold of him for three days. And he lived out in the middle of nowhere. And I finally got worried about him. He was a veteran. And I drove out there to this house in the middle of nowhere, and I knocked on the door. And I thought I heard something, but nobody came to the door. So I beat on the door some more. And I went around to the back, and I beat on the back door. And then I come back to the front door, and I beat on the door, and he opened. He said, what do you want? And I said, I was worried about you. I want to check on you. I'll make sure you're okay. You wouldn't answer your phone. I haven't heard from you in three days. We were supposed to have a Bible study. He said, I can't do it, Paul. And I, we walk in the house, and there's all these liquor bottles. I, I don't even know how many there were. They were laying everywhere. <clears throat> and he sat down on a couch, and he told me two days ago was the anniversary of the first time I killed a man in combat and he said I walked over there after the firefight was on and he said I was looking down at him and he said I saw him draw his last breath and he said I saw the light in his eyes go out and he said Paul I can't live with that and he said so every time it's the anniversary of that experience in my life, he said, I get just as drunk as I can and I stay drunk as long as I can because I can't stand the pain. Now, what do you say to that? All I could do is take him back and say, Jesus cares. Jesus loves you. And for all this wrong you're doing to yourself, this self-loathing, and this unforgiveness of your sins that you are holding on to is destroying you. You've got to let God help you. And you know, he kind of got over that and we did some more Bible studies and I was feeling real good about everything. And you know, they legalized marijuana in Colorado. And he left his wife and three kids to go for a weekend because it was that anniversary again and the alcohol wasn't getting it done so he went to smoke dope and he got in trouble 
And he beat up a police officer. And he went to jail. And I've never heard from him. I've never seen him. I don't know where he's at. He disconnected his phone. I talked to his wife. They got divorced. It was a total wreck. You know, that is so sad to me. And this guy had such potential. He was such an enjoyable person when he wasn't thinking about how bad he was and how there's no way that God would forgive him for what he had done. I hope that the things that he and I looked at in Scripture, I hope it helped him. I hope he's somewhere putting his life back together, whether it be in jail or somewhere else. And I hope he's allowing God to be there with him because he's valuable to God. He's so valuable. He just couldn't see it. So here we have David committing all of these things and he's, killing, he's killed all of these people. And we know that he couldn't build the temple of God because of that, because he had shed so much blood that God didn't allow that. But then we also know he was called a man after God's own heart. How could that be? How could somebody be so engulfed in all of these things of the world and commit all of these bad things? How could he do that and be called a man after God's own heart? How? Look at 2 Samuel 23. In verse 15 through 17, 2 Samuel 23, And David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed, and he said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men broke through the host of the Philistines, and they drew water out of the well of Bethlehem, that was by the gate, and they took it and they brought it to David. I'm going to tell you, well, that's a good story, ain't it? They went out there and just beat him up and wrecked him up, and they got him a drink of water and brought it back to him. Man, I'd like to think I got some friends that are that good, but I'm pretty sure you ain't going to go out and risk your life to get me a drink of water. Now, you might risk your life to do something else for me, but the drink of water is probably not going to do it. But David's mighty men did that. And they brought that water back to him. Now I want to notice what he did with it. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof. But he poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Because of this, he would not drink it. These things did these mighty men. And he poured that out as an offering to God. Now I want to ask you, when you live your daily life, do you think about God all day, every day? I'm not talking about every minute. Does God cross your mind? Does He impact your decisions every day? If He doesn't, He should. And you know, I used to hear people say that from the pulpit when I was young, and I thought, well, you can't do that. You got to work, you got to go to school, you got to do all these other things. I mean, you, get, you can set some time aside, but how do you do that all day? I'm going to tell you, you do it all day if you're going to walk with God. And it's the best decision you'll ever make. When you consider 
how you have behaved in front of someone. You know, the other day I walked in and I was talking to these people and we were talking about leasing land. It's about all I talk about these days. And we were discussing some things like that and I made an off comment about something. I don't remember what. And you know, when I left, I thought, you know, that wasn't a very good, that just wasn't a very good example that I just said. And I just considered my ways. And considering what God would think of what I just said, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't horrible. I don't even know if they noticed it. But it bothered me. And you know, I saw somebody the other day and they really cared about things and they had, they had told a white lie. And they did it for the purpose of not letting someone's feelings get hurt. That was their whole purpose. And you know, it ate them up. That thumb of the Lord was bearing down on them so hard. They could not stand it. They had to make that right. I hope my heart can be that pure. I hope I want things to be right in my life that bad. That even when it's one of those little things that we think is no big deal, I will consider God's ways. And I will purge that from my life. How can David be a man after God's own heart? It wasn't when he was doing the things he wanted to do and all of the bad things that he did. It was when he was doing the things that God wanted him to do that he was after God's own heart. And I would, I would challenge anyone in here to say that they've never had a time in their life where they weren't walking with God. Maybe it was for a minute. Maybe it was for a day. Maybe it was for 18 years. Whatever it was. Is that when people will remember you for what you were? Or do you spend every day and every hour wanting to walk in such a way that people know something's different? So they can ask you, why are you so comfortable in times of trial? You know, and there's been times in my life where nothing rocked me. We got hit by a tornado. I was out there. I had everything I had was scattered all over the place. And I was happy. Man, I probably had a hundred people come check on me and wanted to help. Wanted to roll up their sleeves. I had a whole group of men probably 12 or 14 of them in a van I had never met, drove up at 8 o'clock in the morning and said, we're here to work, what do you want? I said, man, I don't know. I've never done this before. Never had this kind of mess. But you know what I realized? The important thing was my family was okay. My Christian family came running to help. My friends from the community came running to help. And that meant more to me than all that stuff scattered everywhere. That at least people cared what happened to me. That I'd lived in such a way that my impact was somewhat positive or nobody would have showed up. And I want to encourage you tonight that if you think your life is too messed up to be encouraging to someone, you'd be wrong. There's people sitting in these pews today that I will tell you right now that this group right over here of young people, they're looking to you. 
And they are wanting good things from you. They want positive comments from you. They want you to be an example in their life. They long for those discussions with you that they can't have with their own parents. And you may not even know it. But they talk. They talk to each other. And they enjoy it when grown-ups pay them attention and want to answer their needs. Isn't that really where we all are? When we have need, we want to be able to turn to our fellow Christians and be able to say what we need to say and do what we need to do. David's commitment to God was unwavering most of his life. He respected God's people even when they were trying to kill him. You know, he could have killed Saul and made his own life easier for the moment. But he had such respect because he was chosen by God. Do we have that kind of respect for those that are chosen by God that lead us? That are around us? I hope we do. Let's look at Thomas for just a second in John 20. John chapter 20. And verse 24. It says, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. You ever done that? You ever done something like, I ain't believing you until I know for sure? Well, he did. That's why they call him Doubting Thomas, right? That's. That's his nickname. I don't know that he had it back then. He was called Twin, but today we call him Doubting Thomas. He had to see it. He had to feel it. Now let's continue on down. Let's see, I'm sorry I lost my place here. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And Jesus came to the doors being shut. And he stood in the midst, and he said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands. And reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered, and he said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. You know, Thomas refused to believe in the resurrection without physical evidence to prove Jesus was alive. I don't know if it was an arrogant move or stubbornness. Maybe these people had kidded him before and joked. I don't think that would have been much of a joke. But for whatever reason, he refused to believe. What did Jesus do? Did He come at him hard and say, Oh, you, no faith? 
Did he get on him? Did he bear down on him? No, he didn't. He gave Thomas exactly what Thomas needed. Exactly what he needed. He said, you come here, Thomas. I want you to put your hand right there. Right there on that spot. And he said, I want you to stick your hand right here in my side. Thomas needed it. Jesus provided it. Jesus was not angry. He was not frustrated. He was not mean to Thomas. He just provided what Thomas needed to, be, to believe and to restore his faith that Jesus was who he said he was. You know, Jesus taught them all a greater lesson. He said it's a much bigger deal that those who have not seen still believe in the resurrection. He said, you guys have seen, but he said, these guys that haven't seen, that's, that's the big deal. So let's look at 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1 and... First Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it, be, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Whom having not seen, you love. You know, you and I haven't seen Jesus walking on the earth physically. But we certainly have the picture and we have the history of how all of that took place and what Jesus wants from you and I. And He wants that relationship with you and I. And He asked to walk with us. He asked to talk with us. He asked us to come to Him in prayer, confess, repent. You know, the gospel is the beginning. The walk is for a lifetime. Let's look at Peter in Luke, the 22nd chapter. Luke chapter 22 and verse 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. 
And then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times. Jesus told Peter that Satan desired to take him, but he had prayed for his faith not to fail. And Peter told Jesus, I'm ready to fight to the death, Lord. I'll go to prison, whatever. I'm there for you. There wasn't a sharp rebuke. He wasn't harsh. He simply told Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me three times today before the rooster crows. You know, sometimes he just tells us flat out what's going to happen if we allow sin to dwell in our life, and he just lays it out in Scripture. And sometimes we get upset when somebody shows us a Scripture that says what we're doing is wrong. Sometimes we don't want to hear that. We don't want to see that. We want to blame them. They're arrogant or they they think they know everything. But we don't accept what Jesus said and what Scripture told us. Now, as you look at Luke 22 and verse 54, Having arrested him, they led him and they brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance. Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them, and a certain certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out, and he wept bitterly. Jesus' words come to pass, and he turns and he looks at Peter. He doesn't say a word. Just a simple look. And Peter falls to pieces, and he weeps bitterly. He knew what Jesus taught. In Matthew 10 and 32 and 33. Let's turn there. In Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, whosoever confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whosoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Peter knew that. Peter had heard that. Peter had been taught that. You know, sometimes we sin foolishly and then we remember God's Word and we feel worthless and ashamed. 
That burden of sin bears down on our shoulders and crushes us until we realize that repentance and our long-term relationship with God is our anchor. You know, without that, we don't have anything. We drift, we search, and we look, but we will not find. In 1 Peter, the fifth chapter, First Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. It says, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Be, let's see. Okay, then we go ahead and read 8 to 11. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the, grace, the God of all grace who called us to His eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. The devil is coming for you and I. He is successful at afflicting those that walk with Jesus. Even though we're in the safety of the confines of His family. He says all of these things that the world fails at. The devil succeeds even in the brethren. You know, we're going to fail. We're going to make mistakes. And we're going to do things that are not good. But Jesus wants you and I to confess that fault. He wants you and I to change from those ways. He wants you and I to follow Him and be forgiven and to put that behind us and to move forward in our life. In 1 Peter chapter 1, First Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, says, Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, the end of your faith is salvation. If we find it and we hold on to it and we diligently follow God and we work hard at it, and we want to be right with Him. We want to do good in our lives. We want to overcome those things that the devil throws at us. They'll still come. They'll still be there. And some of those things that he throws will still cause us to stumble. But Jesus says He has overcome. He's overcome the world. And He offers us something so much better. So, what about you and I this evening? 
Where are we with our relationship? What have we been doing to better ourselves? You know, I'll just tell you, there's days when I feel like I've fell way short and I've fell way backwards. And I'm not walking as close as I should walk. Those are not things I'm proud of. Those are not things we should want in our life, but they're things that really happen. And Jesus encourages us to take the right steps to correct that. He encourages us to do the right thing and overcome these struggles. And you know, this morning the lesson ended with we all have struggles. We are weak and we need help. So this evening we ask, are you burdened with the struggles of life? Is sin bearing down on you and preventing you from having a good relationship with Christ, your Savior? In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These are the good news that we have after we're a Christian. That there is a way for us to continue to move forward and continue to be cleansed from our unrighteousness and to reconcile with God so that we can be walking hand in hand with Him. In John, the 14th chapter, John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What a promise. A promise that is from all age to the end of time. Jesus says, I went and I go and I will prepare that place that you and I can live for all eternity. And we know that Thomas, after that, he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. He just kind of had a problem without seeing and touching, didn't he? It continued on. But you and I know, and we have those promises, and we don't see them or touch them in this time. But they have been promised by Jesus, and He is steadfast, and He is sure in our life. And finally, in Matthew 11, and verse 28 and 29, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. So I ask you this evening, do you need rest for your soul? Anytime, today, now, long term, we all need rest for our souls. And Jesus said, if you'll come to Him, He'll make it right. He'll take care of you. And He'll make sure that you have what you need to be successful spiritually. So tonight, as we take out our songbooks and we get ready to sing a song, I want you to consider your relationship with God. Consider where it's at and how you've been doing in that. And if you've fallen short, don't be discouraged. 
Stand up. Wipe it off. You know, there was a picture, and I, I wanted to use it, but I didn't. And there's a man, and he has a chisel. And he's, he's very well maintained. He's strong. You can see his muscles. And he's chiseling off from here down. looks like a sumo wrestler. And I thought, how fitting about sin. You and I start out looking like the Michelin man with all this sin we carry around. And we spend all of our life trying to chisel away at that and allow God to help us become what we should be. If you haven't gotten rid of the sin that besets you in your life, if you've got things that are hindering you from being all you can be to serve Jesus, we ask you to come tonight as we stand and sing.